Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let me try that one more time. Can you hear me? Good morning. Well, I want to begin by just uh, giving thanks for all those who've complimented my new microphone. Um, as you walked in this morning, uh, some of you said, wow, you, you look like Britney Spears. So thank you for that. Another person said, um, Madonna, and thank you. Or NSYNC, I got that one as well. You guys have a lot of fun with your pastor. And actually, even during one of the worship songs as we began the 11 a.m. service, I got a picture of Janet Jackson. So thank you so much, everyone, for encouraging me with my new microphone. As we prepare to hear from God's word, let us bow together with one more word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I want to begin by just welcoming the rising sixth graders. Can we give them a round of applause to say welcome? Uh, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. And for everyone who's here, uh, I just invite you to take one nugget of truth from this sermon and from this passage and see how it might apply to your life and to your home. The uh, title of today's message is Unleashed. And I want to begin with this question. Have you ever wondered whether you were called to something greater? Have you ever wondered whether you're called to something greater? Uh, This last week, I came across a a great story, a story about a dog named Ludivine. Uh, This story is from 2016, but it was just shared with me this week, and I think it applies to our passage. You see, there's this dog named Ludivine who in 2016 was a -a two-and-a-half-year-old bloodhound. Its owner, uh, they lived in Alabama, its owner went to let Ludovine out for the morning, and Ludovine escaped the pen. And next thing you know, Ludovine, about a quarter mile away, uh, ends up at the starting line to a half marathon race in this city in Alabama. The gun goes off, the runners take off, and right in the front of the pack, Ludovine is running her heart out, Right? And um, I've got some pictures here. Here's, here's Ludovine just running the race. Now, mind you, this is over 13 miles. And you just see Ludovine's ears uh, perked up, her tongue out. And she's just going for it, right? And um, there's all these different accounts of Ludovine running this race. And the owner started getting texts and pictures of Ludovine running the race, right? And she was really confused. I think her name was April. April was really confused because Ludovine doesn't run, nor does April. So nonetheless, this dog took off uh, on this half marathon journey. And here's another picture of Ludovine with the front of the pack, okay? Now, I have some quotes from uh, the race and some of the racers, One time, she went over and met another dog next to the course, said a racer. Later on, she went into a field with some mules and cows. Then she'd come back and run around our legs. I wondered if she was going to get tired or go back to wherever her home was. Every time I thought she had dropped off to go back home, I'd hear her coming up back behind me, and she would race past me up to the two leaders. She would often run off to romp through streams, and into yards to sniff around for a while. But Ludovine kept running despite her distractions and eventually finished just behind the sixth place runner at one hour and 32 minutes. And we have the proud Ludovine donning donning her medal that she won for placing seventh in this half marathon. Isn't that a great story? I think that story applies to our text, and I actually think it applies to us. I think the big idea from Luke 24 is this. God wants us to so, excuse me, God wants to so ignite us with his love that we go and set our world on fire. Let me share that again. God wants to so ignite us with his love that we go, like Ludovine, and set our world on fire. And through our passage, we see four movements of God's love. We're going to look at these over the next few minutes. First, 
we see the way of the road. Second, we see the light of the word. Third, we see the fellowship of the table. And fourth, we see the bravery of the friend. So let's dive in. The first movement we see in our passage is the way of the road. We read these words earlier. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? The way of the road. Let me set the stage for our passage. This is the same day as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But these two disciples, these two followers of Jesus, it says in our passage, they were downcast and they were walking a rugged road. You see, early that morning, uh, they, they, some of their followers and friends had, had gone to dress Jesus in his tomb for his burial, if you will. And they come up, came upon an empty tomb and supposedly had this angelic encounter. They'd come back it's kind of a weird deal. I think the truth of the matter is these disciples were confused and in despair. Their hearts were downcast within them. Not only uh, were they probably full of disappointment, they were probably full of fear because their leader, Jesus, had been crucified in a gruesome manner just three days before. So here we catch them walking on this road to Emmaus with confusion and despair. When I think of the word confusion, I think of this question, what is happening? And when I think of the word despair, I think of this question, God, if you really cared, where are you? And perhaps you can relate to those two words this morning. Perhaps you're walking in from the road with confusion. God, why am I at this place in life? Why, why am I struggling with these things in life? Why has my job not gone the way I wanted it? Why have my relationships not unfolded as I'd love them to unfold? And more, moreover, where are you? You're nowhere to be found. When I think of this way of the road, this rugged road, I think of a family member of mine. Some of you grew up in and around the church. This family member of mine did not. Nonetheless, he joined me at this great conference. And at the end of this conference, I was a teenager. He was a little older than me. There was a call to come and trust or entrust your life to Jesus. And we both went forward. Perhaps you've done the same at some point in your life. So we both went forward. We actually spent a lot of time with the speaker talking about what we are learning and responding to. So it wasn't just an emotional thing. We both prayed to, to follow Christ. And then he went back to the West Coast to Orange County. And over the years, things didn't go the way he had hoped they would go. His job failed. The woman uh, he thought he'd married, that relationship failed. And next thing you know, he gets diagnosed with this condition or disease of the skin that won't go away. And we were talking a couple years ago, and I said, hey, can I pray for you? And he says, 
I've tried that Christian thing and it failed me. Perhaps you can relate to that struggle, that despair, that confusion as you walk a rugged road. The first movement we see is these two people walking a rugged road, heads down, full of confusion and despair. But the second movement is this. We see the light of the word. The passage continues. What things, Jesus asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. You see, just because we can't see Jesus doesn't mean he can't see us. And if you're a kid or a student here, I want to repeat that. Just because you can't see or hear Jesus doesn't mean he doesn't see or hear you, as we see in this passage. I love how the theologian Kent Hughes puts it. The resurrected Christ knew not only the geographical location, but the terrain of their souls. And notice the order of things. Jesus, he approaches them. He's unrecognizable for some reason. But he approaches them and he first builds relationship rather than sharing revelation about God's word. And honestly, I think in the U.S., so much damage is done in and around the church because we get these flip-flops. I don't know about you, but when someone comes at me, even as a pastor, and they start badgering me with scripture, hey, let me illuminate you. Let me, let me reveal this truth to you. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's just sometimes not even welcome, right? And sometimes you wonder, like, is this about you or about me or about him? Like, what's the agenda here? It feels like you're getting bullied or beaten up. That's not the way of Jesus. He begins by fostering, cultivating relationship. How? by asking questions, saying, Sally, how are you? Carly, how are you? He invites them to share their experience and their stories before he shares about God and his story. You see the order of things? And I just would love for us to take note of this as we go and share the gospel with friends and family. And this is the way of Jesus. And so it's seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, right? And finally, I imagine after miles of traveling together, finally Jesus speaks up and he says, guys, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He basically gave gives a Cliff Notes version of the Bible. And I imagine it was electric. But I want you to catch something here. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? What did they call Jesus earlier as they were recounting his death? They said a prophet. You see, they were seeing Jesus as this teacher or prophet, not the Savior, 
not just for the world, but for themselves. N.T. Wright, another theologian, puts it like this. They, like everybody else in Israel, had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. Through, in particular, the suffering which would be taken on himself by Israel's representative, the Messiah. You see, through the light of God's word, Jesus shows he's not just a teacher or a leader, but the Messiah. And until we see this, we can't see him. Putting it another way, if you're here this morning, you don't just need information, you need transformation of the heart, the very core of who you are. And that's what Jesus is sharing with them, showing that this is actually the fulfillment of all these promises of God. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 1, we read these words, all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that's what he's sharing with them. And then it leads to the third movement, the fellowship of the table. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. You know, there is something special about being surprised by a meal or at a table. Uh, a few years ago, or actually a couple years, I'm giving away my age here. I was, I was invited to go to dinner with a couple of friends. And said, they said, hey, let's go have a drink and have an early dinner. I said, great. We went to a restaurant. I think it was called The Islander. Anyone eat at The Islander before it went out of business? Used to be on Daniel Island. And I don't know if it had already changed names. That's not important. We sit down at the outside bar and grill, and we order drinks. And they said, hey, can we get some appetizers? I, I said, great. I'm hungry. I said, better yet, why don't we order dinner? And they said, no, no, let's just order appetizers first. And I'm like, what? This is kind of strange. So we order appetizers, and I finally said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm really hungry. I'm just going to get a sandwich. So I order a sandwich, and then they start arguing with one another. I, I'm bewildered, saying, what is going on here? And finally, one guy says, you know what? I just want to grill at my house, so let's cancel your sandwich. So one jumps up. He cancels the sandwich. I go, what is going on? But I had faith because they're both grill masters. So I love to eat their food. And uh, we go to their, the one guy's house, and we walk in, and first I had to use the restroom, so I went into the restroom. I came out of the restroom, and over 50 people screamed, surprise! Let me tell you, when you're leaving a restroom and people start screaming at you, it's terrifying. But then I understood why, why they were there, because they were celebrating and surprising me for my 40th birthday. And it meant the world to me. You see, it's one thing to know about relationship and friendship. It's a whole nother thing to experience relationship and friendship. It's one thing to know about the gospel. It's a whole nother thing to experience and commune around the gospel. And there's something magical, mysterious, and beautiful when we break bread together 
when we join together in community. And in fact, this is not just a picture of my 40th birthday party. It's a picture of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 25, we read this promise of a great table and feast at the end of days. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Sounds good. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Where? Around a table, around a feast. If you find yourself longing for lasting relationship, lasting community, lasting joy and hope and peace that is shared, that is a picture of heaven. And I just imagine as Jesus, he moved from guest to host. Notice, he's the one breaking the bread and he gives the bread to them and the scales lift off their eyes and off their hearts and heaven descends in that moment because they see him for who he really is, the Messiah. He is alive. And I imagine their memories of the feeding of the 5,000 or the story they heard about the Last Supper when Jesus would break bread and say, I'm giving myself for you. And he dropped to his knees and he washed their feet, redefining the notion of greatness and love. All of it came together in this moment. Where? Around the table this is a picture of what happened in our passage and this is a picture of heaven and this is the promise for you and for me. Jesus doesn't just offer forgiveness. He offers fellowship, fellowship at the Father's table where you have a seat with the King. And that leads to the fourth movement, the bravery of the friend. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. And the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now to fully understand this fourth point, I want anyone that has any connection to the medical field, raise your hand. Any connection. Here's why that's important. History tells us that the author of this book is Luke. Luke was a medical doctor. So as he wrote this book to us, he took basically clinical notes. You ever go, kids, when you go to the doctor, you ever notice that they're writing notes and they'll type out notes? That's what he's doing. He's basically providing notes, clinical style notes with great detail. And some of the details are not accidental. Notice, Emmaus, how far is it from Jerusalem? Seven miles. When it was nearly evening, they begged him to stay because the day was almost over. It was like nighttime. And last, once they saw who Jesus was, he disappeared. They got up and they returned or ran all the way back to Jerusalem. What he's saying is these friends... Once these disciples understood the truth, they risked everything to share it. It cultivated, fostered bravery 
that is unspeakable. You see, in those days, they were already under threat of death. And it was nighttime. We already know through other passages, like the Good Samaritan, that you can get mugged on these roads outside of Jerusalem, right? It's nighttime. You do not go. You will get robbed. They don't care. They get up and they take off. Where? To share the gospel with their friends and families. Their hearts are burning within them. And it makes me ask, perhaps someone was brave enough to share the good news of Jesus with you. Perhaps someone was brave enough to say, please let us go to church or join me at church together. Or perhaps you're being called to share the good news of Jesus with someone else this very day, this very week, or this summer. Have you ever had your hearts ignite by the presence of Jesus where you can run to a friend or a family member and say, it is true. It is true, and I've got to share it with you. So in conclusion, God wants to so ignite us with his love that we go and set our world on fire. Ludovine didn't care about his flappy ears or his long tongue. Here's running the race, and he finished strong, right? What would it look like for us to have our hearts on fire and to run with this good news? Two questions. Number one, do you need to have your heart ignited this morning? Do you want the love of Jesus to fill you and lift you today? I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And if that's your prayer, I invite you to pray with me. And second, how are you going to set our world on fire with this gospel, with this good news? Specifically, can you come alongside someone and their rugged road of despair and confusion. Do you know anyone like that? Can you open up the scriptures after building a relationship and say, hey, I'd love to pray with you if it ever makes sense? Or can we cry out to Jesus together? Can you open your table to others and invite them into the joy of fellowship this summer? Those are two questions that call for action. Do you need to be ignited? And how are you going to set our world afire with the good news of Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and you would know us and draw us to yourself. For any in this room that need to have their hearts ignited, that need the love of Jesus to forgive them and to fill them, I invite you in this room in this moment to silently say yes. Jesus, come to me. Forgive me. Fill me. I want to walk with you. And God, for the rest of us, would you show us ways to set our world on fire that we would get up and say, it is true. It is true. It is true. God, open up our tables and our hearts to welcome people and to share this with those in need this summer and beyond. We pray in your son Jesus' name, amen.